Thanks for tuning into this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. Hey, two more weeks after today, two more weeks in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it's been a really fun study for me. I hope you've enjoyed this. It's been really interesting hearing the words of King Solomon. Uh, most of you know this. Whenever you live somewhere, uh, there are things that you really like about where you live, and there are, things that, there are always things that you don't like. Right. So Kim and I lived in a house before and there were certain things that we stole back and we go, man, that 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 was awesome about that house. Do you remember that thing? But then it had one thing in particular that we just didn't care for about that house. Um, Yeah, it was that. This house had moles everywhere, man. And so in our front yard and, you know, there's just there's just tunnels everywhere. There's all these moles. And so I would go out, I'd get home from work, for instance, and I just set mole traps in the, in the yard, I just set them. You don't have to guess where to set them because you see a tunnel and you're just like, oh, they travel here, boom, and you just set a trap there, right? And then I'd come home from work. I remember one night I came home and you grab the shovel and you're going to like dig it up and I'd stick it in and there's the mole still and he's like doing this thing still. So I grab my shovel and I, and I bless that brother. I bless him and I, you know, and so uh, the, the crazy thing about setting mole traps, mole traps are really interesting. You don't have to put any bait in them. You don't put bait in a mole trap. Why? Because what are moles like? They like to tunnel and they like to dig in dirt. And so as long as there's dirt there, if you stick the, the, the trap there, they'll, they'll just, that's all it takes. We had a house that I lived in when we were kids, and we still today, we call it the mouse house. And this house was full of mice. I mean, just mice everywhere. And I remember sitting, I remember we all came home, we were little kids, and we came home from church, and we were all sitting at the table one Sunday, and we were having lunch, and right in the middle of lunch, man, linoleum floors, so you can hear just mouse runs across the floor. So consequently, my folks regularly, I, I remember in that house, my folks regularly set mouse traps. They just regularly, they set them in the basement, they set them in the kitchen where there's one by the refrigerator, there's one under the stove. And then we'd get up uh, in the morning and there'd be a dead mouse in, in the trap. Now, mouse traps work differently than mole traps, right? You have to put something in a mouse trap and it's always cheese. You put a piece of cheese in a mouse trap, and that stuff works. We wake up always in the morning. There's a dead mouse, right? And here's what's weird to me. It just keeps working. Like, you know these mice are talking to each other. You do know that, right? They're like, hey, have you seen Roger lately? Oh, you hear what happened to Roger? Oh, what happened to Roger? Roger got the stuffing knocked out of him. What happened to Roger? It's a cheese. It was a cheese. Like, you know these mice are talking, right? And some mice, even though they know it because mice talk, they're trying to figure a way out of it. Everybody thinks that they've got it figured out. Like, that's not happening to me. (laughs) Like, that's how, right? Don't we all think that? Like, there's a trap coming, but I'm smarter than Roger. I'm smarter than everybody else. And the context of what Solomon's talking about today, I wonder if we ever think of this. Do we ever see it this way? Do we ever see that? Do we ever see that money, for most of us, is most likely a trap? And we all think we're smarter than everybody else, and we all think we got a way out of this. And you're going to see what Solomon has to say about this trap today 
and uh, maybe a different thought that we'd have about it. So I'm going to have you turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Remember we said if you look down the, the middle of your Bible, if you have an actual paper Bible, the big book in the middle usually is Psalms if you get there. Then Proverbs, then Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And just so you know this, uh, we got two weeks after today, two weeks after today, and then it'll be, we'll have a, a Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday. You definitely want to be here next week. You absolutely want to be here next week. And next week we're going to talk about something very, uh, I think what's very common. Why don't, why don't we just throw in the towel? Like, why don't we just quit? Why would we not? What would keep us going? And the ultimate throw in the, in the towel is even suicide. And I know in, in a room this size, some of you have suicidal ideation. You've had those. Why would you not? Even if it wasn't suicide, why wouldn't you just give up? Why wouldn't you give in? Why wouldn't you quit? If you've ever thought that, if you're thinking that now, you should be here next Sunday. And I would say more than just you, who do you know next Sunday that you would bring with you? Who do you know that's thinking about throwing in the towel, thinking about quitting, thinking about giving up, thinking that has, is having suicidal ideation? Bring them with you next Sunday because Solomon's going to have something to say about that. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you would. If you're new, just a reminder, we don't up, down, up, down the whole morning, right? But we stand when we read our primary text because it reminds us physically that this isn't some, some smart fellas getting together and writing. This is God speaking to you and I, 2022, in this room right now. I'm starting in verse 10. Solomon says this. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. Verse 12. People who work hard sleep well whether they eat little or much. But the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. Verse 13, there's another serious problem I've seen under the sun. Hoarding riches harms the saver. Money is put into risky investments that turn sour, and everything is lost. In the end, there's nothing left to pass on to one's children. We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us, 16. And this, too, is a very serious problem. People leave this world better off than when they came. All their hard work is for nothing, like working for the wind. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud, frustrated, discouraged, and angry. Let's pray. Father, we received this this morning. This is your word. And so now, Holy Spirit, what we really need, what we desperately need, is your working. We need you, Holy Spirit, to give us understanding into this text. And Father, what are you trying to say to us personally, individual, each individual? What are you saying to them, Father? I pray that you give them a sense of that in a way that only draws us to you, that only gives you glory, Father. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can have a seat. So it's interesting, interesting text by Solomon. And we'll give, I'll give you a reminder in a bit again of who Solomon was. But look at your text. Look at verse 1. Look at your text. Solomon says this. Those who love money will never get enough. Now, if you have a paper Bible, I would circle that word love. And I think this is very important that we distinguish this. Solomon didn't say those people who have money. Very important. 
He's not saying those people who have money. He's saying those people who love money. It's very different. And this word love is very interesting. In the Hebrew, it's ahab. And it's a word that is used relationally. Almost always it is used relationally if you go back in the Old Testament. It's the kind of love that was, that was it's the same word that was used when it was describing how Abraham loved his son Isaac. Remember, he had been promised a child, promised a child, didn't have a child, promised a child, didn't have a child, finally had one, and he loved him, same word. It's the same kind of love that's used to describe Jacob's love for Rachel. Remember, Jacob loved Rachel, but he was tricked into marrying her sister, Leah, and then he worked seven more years, and then he got Rachel, and he loved her. He continued to pursue her. He felt that kind of love for her. It's the same word that was used that said that Jacob loved Joseph. Joseph was the firstborn of Rachel. He'd had other children, but now he has Joseph and he loved him. It's a child that he had pursued. What this is saying is those people who love with the type of love where they just pursue it. Got to have it. Got to have it. Got to have it. Pursue, pursue, pursue. Those people, those people that feel that way about money, flat out, they will never get enough. He goes on and he says, those people who love will never get enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true... Look, if you think that wealth will bring you true happiness, right? You're Roger putting on a helmet. You are crazy. That is not going to happen. Money does not bring that kind of help, happiness. Wealth does not bring that kind of happiness. But also notice that he uses the word meaningless. We said this in week one. This word meaningless is the Hebrew word hava. We see it 58 times in 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes. And it means this, it's a vapor. It's like trying to catch a vapor. It's like the wind. It's meaningless. It's useless. There's no possible way that it's going to happen. You cannot grab a piece of smoke. If you think that wealth is going to bring you happiness, you are chasing vapor and you are chasing the wind. It is meaningless. That's exactly what he's saying. Now he goes on and he says this. He doesn't speak real highly of money. You notice that. It's very interesting. He says, the more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. Do you know how this works for people who have a lot of money? And everybody knows they have a lot of money. There's a, if you ever watch this on ESPN, I don't know how many of you ever seen the documentaries 30 for 30? Have you seen it? Fantastic documentaries. And they do them on all kinds of topics. And they have one in particular that's called Broke. You ready for this statistic? Here it is. 78%. Now, theirs was only on NFL players. But they said, who we think make a whole lot of money, professional football players, but they also did on NBA players and they did on Major League Baseball. But on average, in the NFL, 78% of all NFL players are broke or bankrupt within two years of retirement. And one of the things that they talked about over and over and over in the documentary was the entourages that form around them. Oh, brother, you know what we got to do. Here's where we got to spend our money. Here's what we got to do. I got this great idea. We should do this. And what they really do a lot of times is they come with their dreams and their, you know, their wants. And, oh, you should do this. This is my childhood. We can do this. 78% are broke within two years of retirement. Why? Because all kinds of people come to them and talk to them about, here's how we should spend it. Right? I mean, Solomon doesn't have a lot of great things to say about money. Then he goes on and he says this. People who work hard. People who work hard, those people, he said, sleep very well, whether they eat a lot or not much. But here's the deal. The rich, 
seldom get a good night's sleep. We're talking, remember the context of this whole conversation, people who love money, people who pursue money, people who think that that money is going to bring them true happiness, right? Those people rarely get a good night's sleep because they're always thinking about it. And how do I get more? And how do I get more? And then that brings on more problems. He just continues to say negative thing after negative thing about all this wealth. Here's another one for you. He says, and there's another serious problem that I've seen under the sun. Like I've addressed some already. Here's some more. And the problem is this. That hoarding riches harms the saver. Hoarding them. Now it's, I'm clenching it and I won't let go. The idea of hoarding is that you grab onto it and you will not let go. That I got to pull everything in. I got to keep everything close to me. I got to keep everything around me. And he's saying that when that's our attitude about money, yeah, it doesn't tend to go well. It actually harms the saver. Right? Statistics, looks up statistics on lottery winners and suicide. Lottery winners and uh, mental illness, on anxiety, on depression. We all fall for the trap. We're staring at the cheese. We think this is it. This is going to bring true wealth, true happiness. Did you know this? Did you know that Jesus, so it's always funny to me, whenever we talk about money in the church, people are, oh, there's the church. All they want to do is talk about your money. Did you know that Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven and hell combined? That's what a big deal it is. It's not just money, it's wealth, it's the accumulation of stuff. Because sometimes it's, it's what money can buy us and i got to have this thing. That's still in that same category, right? That, that, that it, it's, it's only causing, it's a trap. It's the cheese, everybody. And then he gets to the very end of this section and he says this, as if he hasn't already said enough bad about it. Throughout their lives, they live under a cloud. People who pursue wealth, who love wealth in a relational style of of love, like they're just pursuing it all the time. Those people live their entire lives under a cloud. Here we go. You ready? They are frustrated, they are discouraged, and they're angry. Now, here's what's really interesting about this is who said it. Because if I'd say it, you go, well, Neil, you just don't know what you're talking about. But look who wrote this. We said Solomon was the wealthiest man that ever lived. If you go dollar for dollar, right, you you make allowance for time, money over time, Solomon was probably the wealthiest man that ever lived. We said this about Solomon. We read this in the scriptures. All of King Solomon's drinking cups, they were made of solid gold, as were all the utensils in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Now, we don't have our fine dining. We don't use gold. What do we make our fine dining utensils out of? Silver. Well, why didn't Solomon make his out of silver? Because they weren't made of silver because silver was considered worthless in Solomon's day. Do you know why silver was considered worthless? Or Solomon, uh, silver was considered worthless? Because he had so much of it. They said that silver around Solomon's uh, palace was like a rock. It was that plentiful. It was everywhere. And then we showed how Solomon even just liked to show off with his money. We found that the king, Solomon had a fleet of trading ships of Tarshish that sailed with Hiram's fleet. Hiram was the king over Lebanon. And he said, once every three years, the ships returned loaded with gold. We expect that. Silver, we expect that. Ivory, we accept that. Apes and peacocks, now you're just showing off. <laughs> you're just showing off. I got something that you people can't afford that you can't possibly get. That's how stinking rich I am. 
And remember, we said this, that Solomon was also the wisest man who ever lived. That when Solomon first became king, we think at about 16, he became the king of the most powerful nation on the planet. And God comes to Solomon in a dream, and he says, Solomon, what do you want? And Solomon thinks briefly, and he said, I want wisdom and discernment to govern your people. And God was so pleased. He said, because you didn't ask for wealth, because you didn't ask for uh, victory over your enemies, because you didn't ask for long life, I'll give you the wealth, and then I, uh, I will give you the wisdom, and then I will give you the wealth and the victory over your enemies and the long life. He was at one point, we said, the wisest man who'd ever lived. Then the wisest man who'd ever lived went a little cuckoo just got totally off the rails. We think most likely it's because he had 700 wives and 300, and I don't mean it in that, I don't mean that, (laughs) that didn't sound right, and 300 concubines. It's not because he had all these women in his life. It's because they were pagans. They were pagans, and they got his heart away from God, and Solomon drifted far away from God. Now he gets to the end of his life, and he comes back. That guy is now turning around. That guy is warning you and I, I've had everything. I've been there. I've done it, or at least I've tried it. And I'm telling you, it is not there. It is not in all this wealth. If, if Solomon were here today, I believe this with all my heart. This is what Solomon would say to you and I. Exactly. Do not be a Roger. That's what Solomon would say. You all see the cheese in the trap. And you all think that it won't happen to you. That's exactly why Solomon was writing to us. You, 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 you all see, look at the number of people who just want fame and fortune. And then ask yourself this question, how does that go for them? Solomon is saying the same thing. That when you love money, when you pursue money, when you have this desire for money, it doesn't go well for you. Now, Solomon says this. Uh, The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. We read that, right? And then he goes on and he asks a really good question. So what good is wealth? See, Solomon actually asked that question. So what good is wealth? Well, I think actually that's a great question. And I think if we're going to talk about money because it has such a significant role in all of our lives in terms of just the practical aspect of our lives, I think that's a legitimate question. What good actually is wealth? And I think we should talk about that. So there are a couple of things, but I'm going to give you just two things that I think I want you to think about this morning. Number one is this, that money, wealth, can be worship. That money can be a form of worship. Last week we talked on worship. But one of the things we don't always talk about is that our money can be worship. If you think in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the people would go to the temple. And when they went to the temple, for sure, they read the Torah. And that was worship. No question that they did that. And they spoke out praises. And they would sing praises to God. But think about this. A lot of Old Testament temple worship was centered around the bringing of sacrifices and offerings. That's what they would bring. And when they brought that, here's what they brought. Valuable animals. Remember, they lived in a very agrarian culture. Crops and money uh, and animals were were money. So they, they would bring valuable animals and sacrifice those to God. Remember that if you brought an animal to be sacrificed, right, it had to be a spotless animal. You, you couldn't bring like, hey, that animal is a three-legged animal. That's not going to be any good. We're going to destroy the animal. I'll bring that one for the sacrifice. No, you couldn't do that. You had to bring a perfect animal. They bring valuable animals. They bring coins. 
They bring produce. That's like cash into the agrarian society. They brought precious metals. A lot of their worship was based around money and money issues in the Old Testament. When you go into the New Testament, you remember this. In John chapter, I think it's John chapter 11, Jesus comes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. He was up in Galilee. He came down to Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. And then things get a little hot for Jesus, and he goes just out of the city, and he stays there a little while. And then he comes back, and it's six days before, in chapter 12, it says it's six days before Passover. And Jesus comes back into Bethany, and he goes to the house of Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they throw a big party for him. And Jesus walks into the house, and then Mary... She comes over and she takes a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume. It's made of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it. She anoints Jesus' feet with this this jar of expensive perfume. And when she gets done doing that, remember, Lazarus is is there, but um, Judas is over there. And Judas says, what the heck are we doing here? That perfume is worth an entire year's worth of wages. Like that's an, so you think a year's worth of your wages. And she anoints Jesus' feet. It's a form of worship. And Jesus said, nah, let her go. Let her go. She's worshiping. She's worshiping. In the New Testament even, wealth was about worship. So one of the beautiful things about money is money can be a form of worship, right? But there's another thing that I want you to see about money, and that is this. I hope we understand this. Money can be a channel for some of God's great blessings, now, I hate that we have to do this, but anytime I talk about that in the American church, I always have to give the disclaimer, folks, we are not on board with prosperity theology. Prosperity theology, if you're not familiar with it, is a, is a, very, it's, it's a somewhat prevalent uh, theology today that says this, that uh, if you just give God money, he, he's almost required to give you back money or to give you good health. And there are people who believe that. That God is relegated to some formal, uh, formula to, to be worked. That, that, that I can use money and kind of get from God what I want. Uh, I, I might have told this story before, but probably six or seven years ago, uh, I got a, an envelope here in my, in my office. And it was addressed to me specifically, and I opened it up. And it was a significant check, like in the thousands of dollars. And it wasn't made out to the church. It was made out to Neil. It was made out to me personally. And then there was a note in it. And this individual who wrote the check said, hey, uh, I'm believing God for a new car, and I'm giving this to you as seed money, and I know that God will bless me. Now, I cannot cash checks like that, just so you know. Now, praise God, Kim can. And so what we have today <laughs> is that uh, we, we have... <laughs> I, I don't even remember what you bought with that, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> and so I just had to hold on to that. And I, and I ran into her here in the building. And I just talked to her privately. And I just had to say, hey, we don't, we don't believe that you give me money and now God has to bless you. Like, that's prosperity theology. And further, I just want to say this just, just as clear as I can. You all know this, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know, and I'm just reminding you. I think we would all agree some of God's greatest blessings aren't cash. I mean, I mean, honestly, folks, I don't know if you all know this. You all are an amazing uh, blessing to Kim and I. 
You are a blessing to us. This church is a blessing to us. Our relationships are a blessing to us. My marriage is a blessing to me. My health is a blessing to me. I mean, I experience blessings day after day after day after day after day, none of which are wealth. Okay, But I do want to talk about this, that money can be a channel for one of God's other blessings. And so I want to talk to you uh, briefly about that this morning. Now, in the scriptures, we're told this. Uh, When I look at blessings, I I just want to understand this in the context of blessings. In the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi says this. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing. There it is. And here's this blessing. Listen, think about this now. A blessing so great that you won't have room enough to take it in. Now, again, in the agrarian society, he's talking about probably crops and those kinds of things. But in our culture today, the scriptures weren't written. This scripture passage wasn't written directly to us, but it was written for us. What would a blessing be for you today that is so great that you couldn't even take it in? Like you couldn't even stand it. You couldn't even comprehend it. What kind of a blessing would that be? Right? A blessing so great because God promises. He says, if you do this, I'll give you a blessing so great that you won't even have room to take it in. And I was thinking about that and thinking about what would that blessing to be to me. And then my next thought was this. Well, what, what exactly would I have to do? If I wanted to experience that kind of blessing, what would I have to do? Because I'm on board. I want that kind of blessing. Right? And then he goes on to the passage and he says this. Should people cheat God? Like, it's really interesting. He was just talking about blessings. And now God, speaking through the prophet Malachi, says this. Should people cheat God? And I thought, well, no. I think I know the answer to that. I mean, I haven't studied that exact one, but I think I know the answer. No, we shouldn't cheat God. And yet God says to the people of Israel at that time, oh, you've cheated me. You folks have cheated me. Which would bring on the obvious question, right? They said, well, what do you mean? When, God, did we actually cheat you? Because I got stuck in the, the blessing so great that I couldn't even take it in. And now all of a sudden, I'm, 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 it's like, I'm over here now. What, what do you mean I cheated you? How did I cheat you? God goes on and he speaks to me. He says, you cheated me from the tithes and the offerings that were due me. They weren't tithing to God. They weren't bringing offerings to God. God had promised them, I'll bless your socks off. I'll bless you beyond what you folks can even take in, beyond what you can even comprehend. I'm going to bless you that way. Here's the problem. You all are cheating me. This is God speaking to the nation of Israel. God says, you're cheating me. And they're like, what do you mean we're cheating you? How did we cheat you? You cheated me because you're withholding the tithes and the offerings. That's what he's saying to them. Right? Now he goes on. He says this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Bring all the tithes in so there'll be enough room, enough food in my temple. Then... He got to the point where he says, and if you do, if you bring the tithes in, then if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't even have enough room to take it in. The blessing was tied specifically to the tithe. If you bring that tithe into my house, I'll bless you. I want to bless you. I want. Listen, our money can be a channel for God's blessing. No, we're not prosperity theology. Is it a channel for God's blessings? Yes. So here's how I want to explain this to you. I'm going to tell you the tale of two pies. And I told you this about... I might, we might have done this six or seven years ago, so if you've seen it before, that's great. But I like to explain it this way because I think it, it, it makes it visible uh, for me. So I'm going to explain you the tale of two pies. I'm just going to have you all watch me eat for a while. That's what I'll probably do. 
So I have two pies. These are just pumpkin pies. And it said on the box, and I didn't know this, but it said on the box when I opened them, apparently these are the finest pies in the world. So, <laughs> so let's just say for a minute that this pie is your income. This is your annual income, right? This is, this is everything you make in a year. I don't care what kind of job you got. I don't care if you make a billion dollars. I don't care if you, if you make a hundred dollars. It doesn't matter. This pie is all of your income. And this is the way that we tend to handle income, right? We sit down and we think, well, uh, got to pay the mortgage. And so we pay the mortgage, and it's a big chunk, and we pay rent, or we pay mortgage, or we pay whatever it is. We do that with it. Just like that. We pay our bills, and that's a big chunk. The mortgage is a big chunk. The rent is a big chunk. And then we say, well... And I got other things. I got like, I got a car payment. And so I'm going to pay my car payment just like that. And that's another big chunk. And that sits over here. And then we say, well, I got kids. Some of you got kids. Some of you know that kids are very expensive. And so you take the kids and you put that money out there. And, and there goes more of my money. And then you know you got to pay the, whoop, kids come back. And then kids come back. And that's... <laughs> And that's more money. Kids are more money. And so those kids came back. And then you say, hey, and, and then we like to have a little vacation every once in a while. And you put that vacation money on there. And you say, I got some utilities. And I got all kinds of other crazy bills that I got to pay. And you do that. And you put that money on there. And you get to the end of the month. And you got just a little scrap left. And we give these crumbs to God. Like God's supposed to be pleased with this, right? This is how we typically handle finances. If we're really honest, don't anybody raise a hand, but this is how. And then the plate comes by and we go, oh, here's a couple bucks. And that's how we handle it, right? Now, let me show you a different way. I want to show you God's way. And I'm just telling you this. I will give you personal testimony and I'll do this all day long. And I hope you always know, I never do this to brag. This is not about me. I've said this a billion times in the sanctuary. I got my first allowance in the, in the kindergarten, and it was a dollar. And my father said, that first dime, skip everything else. That first dime, you put that in the Sunday school basket. You don't have to if you don't want to, but if the dime doesn't go in the basket, you ain't getting no more dollar. It was really simple. I got my first job, $2.35 an hour. Gianni's beef and pasta, Des Moines, Iowa, washing dishes at 10 o'clock at night. We tithed on that as kids. We tithed on that. Every job I've ever had. I remember I got my first job. I was teaching high school down in Dallas. I was teaching and I was coaching. And I made $22,000. And the first thought in my head is, what am I going to do with all this money? <laughs> and I'm telling you, right off the top, man, right off the top, we tithe. And so this is the way God plans this. And he plans this for your good. And he plans it for my good. And the first thing you do is you cut into that pie and you take that first 10% because tithe literally means 10%. You take that first one and you pluck that out. And that goes to God. And when you do that, I can't begin to tell you, God says you've cheated me because you didn't bring the tithes. Now people say, Neil, you give, you pay the more, you, you give your tithe before you do mortgage, before you do rent. I say, heck yeah, because 
that money comes with a promised blessing. Question, what does the mortgage company promise you? Look, man, here's what they promise. You don't pay for a couple months and we're about to evict you. Now, I got no beef. If you're in the mortgage industry, I got no beef with that at all. Because we don't just sign a document as followers of Jesus. We give our word we're going to pay that. That's more important to me than a signature. Man, people say in the church, all you folks want to do is talk about money. You just want our money. You just want to. You folks don't say that about Visa and MasterCard and you use them all the time. This is God's plan. And when we do it, God wants to bless. He wants to bless. Now, let me just give you this real quick about the tithe. The scripture says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all your produce. It's the very first piece. It's the very first piece. Further, he says this, as you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord. In the Old Testament, you know what they do? The crops were coming up, agrarian society. The crops would come up, they take a long ribbon, they wrap it around a tenth of those very first crops that came up, the very first crops of the year. And here's the deal, they gave that with no assurance that there would be any more crop for the year. See, it's a trust issue. Tithing is a trust issue. I know it's challenging. I get that. I know it's a challenge. Because they're like, well, God, what if money dries up? What if you don't bring any more money in? He's like, that's my business. And I'll take care of that. Now, I want to show you this because we looked at this passage already. Right? He says, if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Got that? He's promised a blessing. I love this. Watch this. You're not going to see this anywhere else in the scripture. He says this. Try it. Go ahead. You folks put me to the test. You won't see that anywhere else in the scripture. Over and over and over in the Bible, he says, do not, he says, do not test the Lord your God. Do not try me. Do not test the Lord your God. Do not do it. But when it comes to your money, here's what he says. Go ahead. Try it. You try this the tithe thing. You put me to the test. You see if I won't bless you. I, I think there's a principle here that's at work, and we need to get the principle. 90% of your money with God is better than 100% of your money without God. Give God the 10%. Let him just bless the rest. This is a trust issue. Tithing is a trust issue. The testimony of my life, and if I ask people to raise their hands and we pass around a microphone and give testimony, there is person after person sitting in this room who to give testimony to the way that God has blessed them because they have tithed from their first fruits. So let me choose the big so what. If you're new, we always like to have a big so what so you don't have to leave here wondering what we were trying to talk about this morning. Very simple. Look, folks, money is temporal. It's just temporal. It's going to be gone. Gone. You can't take it with you. We're going to invest in it eternal. I want to encourage you to invest in the eternal. Do you know this? And I've said this before. Do you know that our church tithes? We're not required to. The scripture doesn't say that. But the monies that come in here with your tithes, we take 10%. We make sure we're always at at least 10%. This last year was 12%. But we give away 10 to 12% every year. We just believe God blesses that. Right? Invest your money in the eternal. So let me give you the big now what. And this will apply to some and not everybody. And I've said this before in here. God says, try me. Put me to the test. I, I, I challenge everybody to take the 90-day challenge. That's what I always challenge. If you're not tithing yet, get started. I'll just be real honest. If you say, man, I'm not doing anything right now. You're not receiving God's blessings. I'd start where you could start. If you say, hey, 5%, I could do 5 I'm saying start. you start. But trust God. Just do the tithe and trust God. So you do this. You tithe for 90 days. 
You tithe for 90 days. I've said this before. We've, we've brought this up before. If at the end of your 90 days, you say, I got suckered. You scammed me. You're the biggest scammer I've ever met. Right? You've got all that hair like the TV evangelists. It's so good. You scammed me. Here's all you got to do. You call the church and you just tell them, I was going to church here. I started tithing and got scammed. I'd like to have my money back. Here's my name and whatever. We'll just cut you a check. We'll just, we'll just give it all to you back. Right? You let God bless you. You let God bless you because he wants to. And this is one of the channels for his blessings. Money can be worship. It can also be a channel for God's blessing. Let God bless you. Yes? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your goodness, God. What a good God you are. A God of rich, rich, rich blessings. And we say thank you, Father. Thank you that we've had audience with you, the great creator, this morning. Thank you, Father, that we've been in your presence. God, my prayer this morning is that nobody leaves thinking anything about Cedar Valley Church. Nobody leaves thinking about how awesome our worship team is. Nobody leaves thinking anything about the pastor or the pastors. God, my prayer is that they walk out of here and they're just consumed with the idea of the great creator. Regardless of what we talk about, Holy Spirit, you have the ability to do that. Draw us to you, God. That's our prayer. And so now, Father, here's our ask. As we leave this building this morning, would you help us to go be the church to a lost and hurting world that desperately needs a Savior? Grant us that, God, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen.